As we transition, my goal is over the next few weeks to be transitioning to our new series. My plan is to go through the book of Exodus. I'll actually start with a, a preview in Genesis leading into Exodus over the next coming weeks. Although next week I am going to try to uh, challenge our, our two candidates for pastoral types of ministries, both uh, Pastor Mike and um, Pastor Paul. Am I allowed to say that yet or do we have to wait till next week? Um, and so, I, Lord willing, that will be a really encouraging time. I know that you have uh, time away maybe planned. If, if, if you can, make sure that you're here just to be part of what our church family is doing as we uh, send the Bissells, or actually commission to send them. They're not leaving next week. And then appoint Paul as a shepherd over this church family, as a shepherd of the flock. Um, really encouraging times to see these men serving the Lord and committing themselves to be ministers in the Lord's hands. As we do that, I'm, I'm wrapping up Proverbs, and I, I, my, the title of, of my sermon this morning is The Wise Guy's Life, Part 1. I want you to know there's no Part 2 planned. I just want you to know there's a lot I'm not saying by calling it Part 1. At some random time in the future, probably like three years from now, you're going to get Part 2, and Part 3 following at some point. There's just so much that can be said about living wisely. So I, I framed it this way because I'm, I'm biting off a chunk bigger than I can handle. Now, I want to look at Proverbs and its presentation of wisdom is starting with a very God-centered understanding of the world and then consider how it affects the home and maybe we could just at least broadly say either our personal character or interaction with our neighbor. In other words, like, what does it look like to live life as a wise man? What does it, like to, what, what does it look like in a home of a wise man? Then how does the wise man think about life in reference to God? So I think as you look at Proverbs, and by the way, I'm going to read a, a slew of Scripture this morning and then take you to a couple texts and, and help draw your attention to those points being made in those, in those passages. So get your fingers nimble. Um, as you look at Proverbs and the presentation of who God is, you might hear something like this as a thematic summary, like God is sovereign. Well, that might not mean a whole lot, Practically, what Proverbs would tell us is God is involved in everyday life, in every part of it. And sometimes we think, well, God doesn't care about the small stuff. God doesn't care about this moment of life. He doesn't care about, you know, what it looked like today, uh, you know, Tuesday morning at work. I'm kind of having a slow day. And so you find yourself streaming something from Netflix instead of working. And you think God doesn't really care. A wise man understands that God's care, God cares about all of life. And he's driven to make sure that God delights in all those areas of his life, knowing that the surest life is the life that pleases God. That is the most secure, grounded, joy-filled life is one that is driven to please God. I want to pull it short of saying lives for the blessing of God because I think God's blessing sometimes doesn't feel like a blessing. Uh, there, are, there are tribulations and, and discipline that he gives to his people to sharp and shape them to look more like they should. But as you read Proverbs, it's filled with a recognition that wisdom knows God cares about everything. So, let me read through multiple verses and then I want to take you back to a couple just to consider. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. Talking about financial riches, and he adds no sorrow with it. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be cut short. 
The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Those of a crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. If you just think through the last two verses, a false balance is a way to cheat someone in the marketplace. So he's saying someone who's dishonest in his business dealings is an abomination to the Lord, despised and set aside from the Lord's delight. The crooked harder an abomination, that is someone who's twisted in their thinking and their doing, as in contrast to the blameless or those who are innocent, who are his delight. A good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices the Lord condemns. No one is established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will never be moved. Proverbs 12, 22, the lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. 14, 2, whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises the Lord. In the fear of the Lord, one has a strong confidence and his children will have refuge. You want your children to be safe in the world? Let me read that again. The fear of the Lord gives one strong confidence and his children will have refuge. You love your family? Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. That was Proverbs 14, 26, and 27. Chapter 15, verse 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on evil and the good. Proverbs 15, 8, and 9, The sacrifice of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. Let me just stop. Consider that. God does not delight in the worship of the wicked. He detests it. It's laced with something that is noxious and reprehensible to God. And when it's offered to him as though it be something pleasurable to him, he detests it. But the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. You want the Lord to love you? Pursue righteousness. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. The Lord is standing vigil over the righteous poor. Isn't that a sweet picture of our God? He tears down the proud, but he is protecting the righteous widow is the point. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Even dating is something the Lord is sovereign in. Isn't that amazing? Some of you guys are, you wonder how in the world you got the wife you got. And when you talk about married up, you're like way up. Why? Why? Because God blinded her. Right? Like, some of you guys should look at the girl next to you and say, God is so good. I think about what, what, the, what the wisdom of Proverbs is telling us. Something as, like, so earthy as dating, engagement, leading to marriage in which we think we were the actor. We think we were the one that found her. We think we were the one that snookered her, put on the charm, and won her. God says, no, 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 no. Don't you take credit for that. That was me. Right? God says a good wife is a gift from him. 
You see how the Proverbs tell us again and again, God is not merely enthroned in heaven watching the world play out. He is involved in every part, beholding the good and the evil. He discerns the hearts of men. He knows what you're thinking. He detests the sacrifices of the wicked. He is delighted in the prayers of the upright. He protects the widow's houses. God is in our lives, working, protecting, judging, evaluating, blessing. God is not merely a bystander as though watching a movie as he looks at you. He is engaged actively. Some of you are alive today because God kept you alive in a car accident through cancers, through diseases, and kept you faithful despite hurts and injuries from a spouse or children or neighbors or parents. And God has kept you faithful when your heart would stray. The wise man knows God is present and active in his life. But he lives like it. It's not as though God is merely the insurance safety net. I mentioned to my daughter, she saw, or she yesterday was at a volleyball tournament, and someone had said that a car sideswiped about a dozen cars on its way into the parking lot. And she was going, oh, that'd be the worst. I'd rather just wreck one car than like 12. And I said, well, in any case, insurance will probably cover it. You're probably not going to pay a lot out of pocket. Either way, you're just going to pay insurance premiums for a long time to come. And she's like, oh, okay. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That was, that was not, don't take it lightly. You know, God's presence is not meant to make us casual or cavalier about life. Instead, the wise person knows that God cares. And therefore, if God cares about every part of life, we do too. Those simple words to our children to encourage and uplift them when they're discouraged. The challenge to help them see that the sun rises only by the grace of God. To let them know that Jesus Christ loves and saves sinners and will redeem them if they would only trust in him. Those are important moments. And they're important moments when you teach your child to work hard. It is with confidence that we engage the world. Listen to Proverbs 21.1. In fact, turn to Proverbs 21 with me. The king's heart says, a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. To me, this is one of the most comforting verses in all of the Proverbs. As you interact with people, as you especially interact with those who are over you, whether it's in the workplace, whether as children in a home with parents who do not do what you think they should do, remember this. The king's heart is as a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it, that is the Lord, turns the heart wherever he desires. God's sovereignty of the human heart does not remove the responsibility of sin from us. Even so, God declares, I turn hearts. So when you have an obnoxious situation where someone is doing wrong to you and you wonder, God, can't you fix this? His answer is really clear. What? I absolutely can fix the heart. So if God is letting you suffer, whether it's because a child is not soft towards you or a coworker doesn't like you or some decision is being made that affects you and hurts you and sorrow, it causes you sorrow, the confidence you can have is that God moves hearts. And if he moves hearts and still allows you to be hurting, 
What can you know? If God is good, and God is in control of his heart, then it is good for me to respond by trusting in him even when the heart doesn't move the way I think it should. And some of you parents can use this verse to pray for your children who need to trust in the Lord. God, move their heart to hear your word and move them to respond in faith to your word. As you live as especially somewhere in those tween years and you start to know everything and your parents get dumber and dumber by the day and you are living under their leadership and you're thinking, man, God, my parents just don't understand me. And it feels as though you're, you're imprisoned under dumb parents. If the king's heart is in God's control, so is mom's and dad's. And sometimes it is hard to trust your leaders. Go down to verses 30 and 31 of the same chapter. I have already mentioned this verse in our series in Proverbs, but no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Can I just tell you that no plan of yours succeeds unless the Lord is in it. No plan against you succeeds unless the Lord permits it. Plans are established and succeed only by the grace of God. Only by the declaration and permission of God. Only because the Lord lets them. And no one can succeed against him. No one. The horse is made ready for battle. Listen, you have a responsibility to be financially prudent, to work hard, to be diligent to raise your children to love and know God. You have a responsibility to be careful with your money. You have a responsibility to take care of your home and repair your house. You have a responsibility to do these things, but none of them guarantee results. We prepare the horse. So we teach our children, we work hard, we save our money, we are uh, thoughtful about how we participate in church so that we are diligent to sacrifice for the good of Christ's people. We are thoughtful about those things, but at the end of the day, what causes your house to thrive financially, if your children to be believers who marry good people, what causes success is not your preparation. It is the grace of God Almighty. And so we trust in him. We dare not trust in the preparation that we bring. We trust in the Lord. And so we do both. We prepare while trusting him. We prepare. We work hard. We become wise and skillful in life. But we never move our trust to our skill. We always settle our trust in our hearts that the Lord must give the victory. Victory is from the Lord. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Proverbs 22.4. Boy, that is a thematic verse. I don't think it is the theme verse. I think that was back in chapter 1. But Proverbs 22.4 is a summary. The reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. Honor would indicate the respect, the accolades, the acknowledgement of people around you. So here we have this, my reputation is something the Lord gives to me. 
protects and guards. And he is not required to give it. And so oftentimes, like, we brag to make ourselves look good, or we are worried about what people think, and so we defend our reputation. We want to perform to be seen, to be noticed. And yet we know that here's what the Scriptures say, that when we honor the Lord, when we walk humbly with the Lord, He gives us financial security. He gives us reputational security. And He gives us security in our health. The best health plan you have is walking with the Lord. Again, I repeat George Whitfield's words, I am immortal until his work with me is done. Like, isn't that peace-giving? I mean, just meditate on that for a moment. It's true. The Lord has your day set. And when his time for your work is done, you're done. But listen, some random act is not going to take you off this planet because there are no random acts. They're all under the sovereign care of God. Proverbs 28, 14, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever, whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So just to summarize, the Lord knows the hearts of all of us. He knows our motives and he evaluates and judges. And he hates the proud look, the wicked thoughts, the worship of the wicked, the disobedient person, the slanderer. He abhors the person who lies. He hates the crooked heart. And he judges those who are dishonest in their business dealings. In the reverse, the Lord is pleased and delighted by the prayers of the upright. He loves the one who pursues righteousness. He protects the widow, loves the wise person who speaks with grace. He protects the children of the wise and delights in justice in the marketplace. He'll be a stronghold to the righteous, prolong the life of the wise, and give riches. And he cares for the righteous poor. It is the Lord who gives life, good wives, honor, and victory. He is the one who protects our children. He fights for the poor and the righteous. He is the one who gives long life and honor to whomever he wills. He extends our life and makes our paths smooth if we just walk with him. Some of you have a hard situation. Can I just commend for you, walk with the Lord. I think often we are in a difficult situation because we are walking in disobedience. And so Proverbs would say, the way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the transgressor is difficult. Listen, if you're suffering... The first place you should look, and I don't mean to be unsympathetic, but the first place you should look is in the mirror. And again, it feels really insensitive, but the problem might be you. You might be suffering because you are not walking in wisdom. You're not walking with the Lord in obedience. And it is therefore a very gracious thing to call you to evaluate yourself. I'm not trying to be harsh. Um, all right. I'm going to preach way too long if I don't get moving. So we're going to move forward to family life. Okay, so how does the wise person evaluate the Lord's interaction in his life? He knows the Lord is involved in everything, and he lives to please the Lord. Right? Those confidence is that the Lord cares about everything. Therefore, he lives in every way to please the Lord. Not only that, and again, I'm going to go a lot more quickly through this, a wise family 
honors the Lord. You, you, you could say this is Christ-centered. A wise family honors the Lord because we know that the Lord establishes the house. Remember, a prudent wife is from the Lord. Or Proverbs 15.25, which says, The Lord tears down the house of the proud. Proverbs 14.11, The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. Proverbs 24.3, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. The Lord blesses, strengthens, protects the house or the family of those who pursue him. Some of you want to know how to secure good parenting technique. Start here. Walk with the Lord. But don't end there. Okay? Um, I, I'm going to give two contrasting points of wisdom. You know how wisdom, there's, there's a, the level of like um, difficulty in finding that path. Okay, so there are some of, some of you out there, you are rebukers. And I don't mean that to be negative or positive, but like you just have like one gear on your bicycle. It's named rebuke. <laughs> it's like you see someone misstepping, and you're like, hey, you, stop it. Like that's, that's what you got. You got rebuke going for you. Some of you, you're peacemakers. Hearing that, you're quiet. You see someone about ready to fall into a ditch, and you're like, oh, I hope they don't fall. You should probably say, stop. There's a ditch in front of you. But you don't want to embarrass them. You don't want to rebuke or correct them. You always think it's not your place, and so you never speak. Okay, so like in those contrasting people's like exaggerations, right? The one who's got one gear, it's always rebuke, and the person who never says anything because it's never the right time. Proverbs challenges the home where passivity or aggressiveness reign and calls us to consider carefully our ways. So, a wise house where the Lord is center will be filled with discipline and instruction. So you rebukers are going to be like, yeah, we're winning. Just chill out. Okay? There is a point at which, let me, let me just be direct. Dads, you're probably too passive. Almost and I think it comes from the like, Garden of Eden type of failure. Adam says nothing, and Eve is out in front. So I'm just going to tell you, most of your homes, I think we see that, that reduplicated. Men, you're too quiet. Women, you're not quiet enough. And again, I'm not trying to throw stones at any of you in particular. <laughs> Listen, there's a reason we have stereotypes, and I'm not like preaching stereotypes, but they're kind of true. I mean, it is sad that, that a lot of you men are in church because your wife got you here. Right? And it's sad that the person who does the most correction at home is the mom, not the dad. I mean, we're going to, I'll just read the Bible. Gonna get more trouble here. Okay, Proverbs, turn to Proverbs 15 and then I'll, I'll come back to it. But let me start with Proverbs 17 1. Better is a dry morsel. You know, I said discipline instruction. I'm gonna start with peace. So I have it in my notes. So I'm gonna stick with my notes. Proverbs 17 1. Better is a dry morsel with a quiet house than a house full of feasting with strife. Did you guys hear that? Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Proverbs 21.9, it is better to live in the corner of a housetop 
than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Proverbs 27.15, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Proverbs 14.1, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. If you're one gear's rebuke, you need to meditate on that verse. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. So let me take you to Proverbs 15 and 16 and just give it for your consideration. Better is a little with fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. I think especially in our get-ahead world where everyone is fighting for a few more dollars, a little bit nicer car, the brand new cell phones, we can sometimes forget that this simple truth is still true. It is better to have a home where love and peace are the environment that everyone experiences rather than a home on the beach in Malibu that has millions but comes with fighting. You know what? All poor people can be people of peace, but we all can't be rich people. You can all bring the better home to your home. So some of you, if your gears rebuke, you're actually stirring up strife. Your child knows their room is messy. You don't need to lay into them every time. Just tell them to go clean it gently. I, I mean, I actually think for parenting advice that the adage, this Teddy Roosevelt, walk softly, carry a big stick, is probably some of the way we need to change our parenting. Some of us talk loudly, we yell, we use our voice and we never correct with any discipline that actually shapes the heart, that actually gets to the real place in which they feel the discipline. I don't mean that necessarily physically. I just mean they get yelled at all the time, but nothing is ever done to help them change their behavior. Better is a little with fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble. Listen, if your children are excelling at sports but are missing church all the time, you might be delivering a child who has great treasure of honors and accolades on the court, on the fields. But trouble's coming. Trouble's coming when they marry an unbeliever, when they never go to church, and you know that their heart does not love Jesus. And you're going to look at that room filled with trophies from Little League. And a son, when he comes home, brings his girlfriend and sleeps in that room with his girlfriend, and your heart's going to be breaking. And you would trade those trophies to have that child sitting with you in church. Don't lose your house by chasing the world. And so, for those of you who just live in conflict and rebuke, you are probably tearing down your house like the foolish woman. On the flip side, discipline and instruction is part of the environment in which we live. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. The indifferent parenting, the passive parent, will ultimately bring a child into the world that gives shame to the family. And that type of shame is the type of shame from partying, from a frivolous, wasted life, from a life that rejects the plan of God. Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your son, for there is hope. Proverbs 22:15 folly is bound in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline drives it from him. 
Proverbs 23, 13, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die your heart. Engaging our thirteen twenty four. Okay, now, like, just meditate for a moment before we move on. When you have just this soft, tender heart, and little Junior misbehaves and gives you the cutest pouty face because he knows, he knows mom is supposed to discipline him. And mom's heart softens and she goes, oh, he's so cute. And then she doesn't discipline him because she loves him so much. Let me read this again. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. Now, you would think the person who, like, disciplines and gives correction is the one who doesn't like their children. And that's not the point of Scripture. Scripture says that whoever loves him will be diligent to discipline him. Now, let me, let me focus on that word diligent. It doesn't say delighted. <laughs> like, we are not spanking machines. I'm like, oh, good, they did it again. <laughs> fix it. You've been driving me nuts, kid. I was just so glad you stepped over the line because I am going to bring it. This is not the picture of godly parenting. Godly parenting does not delight in correcting, in bringing chastisement, correction, discipline, spankings, groundings, or whatever other types of disciplines you think God has led you to do. But we are diligent to do it. We're diligent to do it because we love our kids, precisely because we love them. In other words, a child left to himself will bring shame. We dare not do nothing. But to look at your child as an opportunity to express power or to get them to please you rather than trying to move them to please the Lord is in fact horrible parenting. And so diligence is a great word because it's, it's not a reflection of what you want. It's a reflection of what is right. So parents who are watching TV and your child interrupts you, are you willing to turn off the TV, hit pause on your relaxation and rest in order to deal with your child even though it takes time? But after an exhausting day of work, after slaving the kitchen all day, and Junior spouts off to stop dinner, to let dinner burn for the sake of your child's character is godliness. To drive home from the grocery store to deal with a spoiled brat is righteousness and exhausting and tiring and expensive, but right. Laziness, indifference, a lack of attentiveness will lead to passivity, and your outcomes will be similar to the Garden of Eden. Death, shame, and folly for your children. And then in your latter years, heartbreak as you watch your children stray from the Lord. Again, the Lord is sometimes very gracious. We've seen really bad homes raise incredibly godly kids because God still is the one who gives victory, right? Good parenting techniques do not guarantee godly children. And so our confidence, we prepare the horse, or in this case, we discipline our children, we train them, we are diligent. But victory is from the Lord, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and so we pray, because so is juniors. So we pray for our children. And we teach our children to honor and listen, or maybe we could say the response of a godly son is to honor and listen. For sake of time, I'm not going to read all of these. But Proverbs 13.1, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Proverbs 23.22, listen to your father 
who gave you life. And do not despise your mother when she is old. I can tell you that that one has hit me a few times. Through stages of my growing up, there are times where I was embarrassed of my mom. I, I still remember her cheering for me when I played sports, and it's kind of like, oh, you know, like, I don't know that lady. I don't know, she's cheering for some other mark, not me. And I can remember times where maybe poor behavior of my parents or just silliness or just their expressiveness. I, I'm easily embarrassed. You may not know that about me. If you want to um, embarrass me, sing happy birthday in a restaurant on my birthday. It is not a gift. Well, it is a gift. It's just not the type of gift I want to receive. And so I can remember being embarrassed and not looking with honor on my mom. Now, I want you to look carefully at that verse because it says, do not despise your mother when she's what? Old. So I'm looking at you, middle-aged people. Your parents are now in their older years, and they do things that embarrass you. They say things. It's like filters get lost when they get old. And they're talking about things you would rather they not talk about in public. And you think, like, Mom, seriously? Like, not here, not in front of these people. And God calls you to honor them. I think part of this is also just care. Right? When your, your parents get old and they need care, and they need someone to feed them and change their diaper, they need someone to spend time with them. A godly son or daughter honors their mom and dad. It never stops. And somehow in our culture, we've got this idea that when you turn 18, you're cut loose. That is something that's never found in Scripture. Now, we leave and cleave at marriage, but that does not mean you ever get to the place where you stop honoring mom and dad. Honor your parents, always. Finally, in their personal life, so... That was family. So let me just kind of summarize again. When you come to family, I, I think there's a clear understanding that God builds a house. And as, as leaders in the home, mom and dad need to be active in instructing, but not always rebuking. That will tear a child's soul down to the ground. So, so we need to be wise in that application of when to rebuke and when not to rebuke. Because folly would always rebuke. Folly would also be passive. And so hitting that tone of being wise in rebuke, wise in correction, that's a parent's duty to be wise. A child responds by obedience and honor. That's what a godly home looks like where Christ is center. In terms of personal character, and I'm woefully inadequate at reflecting the Proverbs here. There's so much more. But I'm just going to hit a couple notes here that I think are significant in thematic developments of Proverbs. A wise person honors the Lord by being self-controlled rather than angry. Um. Rather than reading you about the 20 Proverbs I have listed here, let me just hit a few. Proverbs 17, 27, whoever restrains his word has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Proverbs 29, 11. Proverbs 29, 22, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. If you're writing notes, you got to write that verse down because I think that's incredibly, not only perceptive, but convicting to my heart. Proverbs 29, 22, a man of wrath stirs up strife. If you're an angry person, you actually create fights. So when you get offended or hurt or injured, oftentimes the person is unaware or unintentional in their cause. 
Right? Have you ever said something that caused someone to be hurt, and you're like, I did not mean to cause that. I didn't know I was causing that. I am so sorry. But by then, the volcanoes exploded. And they come back and retaliate, and they're launching nukes. And man, we go counteroffensive. And we're launching back. And all of a sudden, it's like, in our marriages, in our homes, in our workplaces. A man of wrath stirs up strife because they don't respond with a cool spirit, as Proverbs 17 expects. Whoever is slow to anger, Proverbs 14, 29 says, has great understanding. Proverbs 14, 17, a man of quick temper acts foolishly. Again, Proverbs 29, 22, one who is given to anger causes much transgression. Proverbs would say, don't be friends in chapter 22 with an angry man because you will learn his ways and be like him. I think one of the saddest realities we have as we look at abusive homes is they often create more abusive homes. Some of you parents, the greatest gift you can give your children is getting control of your anger before it infects them. Anger wrecks homes, stirs up more sins. If you love God, you don't want to be angry just for the fact that it will cause other people to sin with you. A wise man controls and owns control over his heart and expressions. He does not just let words fly. Anger is not to be let loose or expressed without control. It is infectious. It is learned. And others get angry when we are angry. We are called not to associate with an anger person or be a person of anger because we will stir up sin and therefore dishonor God in our own hearts and in the hearts of our community. It infects the whole house or city or workplace. Expressing anger is a lack of control and it should be confessed as sin. It is okay to be stirred up in anger. It is not okay to let anger stir you up. We are to be diligent rather than lazy. Laziness, I think, is a common infection in young people. It is a duty of godly people to root it out of their own hearts, not always point it out in others. Proverbs says a slack hand causes poverty. Proverbs 10.4. Proverbs 12.11 says, Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. I'm speaking to you, gamers. Whoever works his land will be wealthy. He who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Talking to you, people who just watch TV all day, who read novels when you should be diligent and working, I am talking to you if you rest too much, if you live for the weekends where you can go and vacation, you need to consider Proverbs' call to be diligent. And not just vacation. I, I, I want to be gentle here because it's always easy to throw stones at people who are not where you're at. I'm not yet to retirement age. But I think sometimes retirement is used for an excuse for like lifelong relaxing. Right? It's like when I get 67... I'm out of here, I'm getting a vacation property, and I am just chilling. Go. Good. So God has given you 20, 30 years of life where you don't have to work to put bread on the table, and you're going to do what with it? You're going to be lazy. Let's just call it what it is. You're going to be lazy. Where in the Bible is that honored? Where in the Bible is being a sluggard? I love that word in Proverbs. 
Where is that honored? You're a slug. You hardly move. Right? Like, all day, what'd you do? I moved six inches. Oh, good on you. It's like, you're doing nothing. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase. It's not merely laziness. It's looking for the shortcuts in life. You know what God calls you to do? Work hard. It doesn't matter if you have lots of money in the bank. Work hard. Keep your house well. Spend time with your children and be diligent. Be present when you're present. The way of the sluggard is a hedge of thorns. That's a fantastic verse. Listen, if you have a hard time paying the bills, I know I've said this before, but walk with me here. Look first in the mirror. Like, this is going to sound, again, a little bit judgy, but uh, I think it needs to be said because for, for concern that I don't offend someone who actually is walking righteously, things that... that could be said aren't said, and therefore a lot of people who do need to be rebuked aren't, hurt, aren't getting rebuked. So filter me well here. There are some of you who can't pay your bills, and you should have another job. Like, work too. Almost all throughout human history, a grown man with a, a strong body would have one, one and a half, or two jobs worth of work. If your family can't put food on the table, work hard. And your first job might be applications and work at getting work. That's so discouraging. I get it. Like filling out 50 job applications and not getting one call back and you quit because that's so discouraging. But just make your job getting a job and then get the job and work it hard. But here's God's plan. By your own hard work, God puts bread on your table. So make sure you're working hard. Now for some of you who are working hard and still are poor, sometimes that's God's program too. So don't, like if I hit you between the eyes, you're like, man, I'm working hard. Okay, two of you get a pass. The rest of you should have felt that. Right, because most of us, we can work harder. And maybe we're poor because, we, I mean, my, my wife's grandfather worked two jobs almost his whole adult life. Our culture used to be filled with men who from the time it was daylight till the time it was dark, labored. We are the laziest, and I mean this in the sense of professionally, 40 hours a week is the least any human society has had to work and survive. And we are, so, we are doing so well at it that most of us are trying to find super expensive food that has no calories. Right? Because we want it to taste good, but we have so much food in our refrigerator, we get fat. We are, we are a wealthy society with lots of good jobs. Let's make sure that if we are poor, it's because God has sovereignly put his hand on our finances and held us back, not because our own unwillingness to work has held us back. The way of the sluggard is a hedge of thorns. Proverbs 26, 13, and 16, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. Now, let me just tell you, there were lions in this day in Israel. Remember, David killed a lion with his bare hands. The sluggard says there's a lion in the road. There's always a good reason not to work. There's always a good reason not to work. And the sluggard is genius at finding ways not to work. 
I mean, who really thinks you should go to work when you walk outside and get killed by a lion? You should probably just stay in your bed. But that's the point, is, is there's always a way you can get out of work, and it's reasonable. Some of you have counseled with people who need to get a job, and you're like, hey, have you tried this? No, I can't because, you know, I have this issue and this issue, and I need to care of my grandmother. She's sick, and, and every other Thursday I have to do this. And you're like, okay, so, like, apparently you can't work any job. There's always a reason for the lazy man not to work. And it probably sounds reasonable and soothes his conscience. There's a line in the road, he says. Yet as the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Now the proverb's point is this. He's so lazy, he's not working to put food in his mouth. Right? It's not literally like, oh, I'm exhausted, I can't even lift the spoon. The point is metaphorically in life. His own hunger is not enough to make him work. He buries his hand in his dish. He wears it out, bringing it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. This is a true story. I'm going to try to purge it of some of the personality in it so you don't wonder too much. Um, a, a kid at my child's school has successfully graduated as valedictorian and has cheated her whole way through high school. She's going to an Ivy League school. Now let me ask you, what's the purpose of education? I would think it's to be educated, not to graduate valedictorian and get into an Ivy League school. I am guessing that that sluggard is wiser in her own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. The laziness of not doing schoolwork has successfully granted her a piece of paper that says she graduated with honors. But she hasn't been educated. I bet she looks at herself and pats herself on the back and says, you schlubs. You worked hard and you got B's. I took the easy way. Well, let me just tell you, God despises the crooked and the perverse in heart. God despises and abhors its abomination when we are cheaters in life, when we have false weights. This person has cheated herself out of an education and enriching her mind. She has taken a very valuable gift to her of education and squandered it for the false honor of achievement, which she really did with someone else's work. But I guarantee you she's bragging to her friends. Let God's church not be filled with people like that. Rather, let us be diligent. Finally, the Lord gives us work so that we can have money so that we can give it away. Right? Isn't that the truth of Ephesians 4? That we are to labor with our hands that we might have something to give to those who are in need. Proverbs 22, 4, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. Okay, so God gives us riches, honor, and life. And then Scripture goes on to say, like, for instance, in chapter 14, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. But blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Whoever oppresses the poor insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors his maker. Proverbs 19, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and the Lord will repay him for his deed. We are to be a people that is marked by generosity. 
Listen, if you are so poor you don't have money to give away, you need to consider that God has called you not to work merely for food on your table, but for food on others' tables too. You are not merely called to be good to your family. You're called to be good to your neighbors. You're called to be good in in the broader sense to your church. And if you are so financially challenged, you can't give away money without stealing bread from those in your own family, you need to work hard and then trust the Lord. But we are generous people. You can give up your time. You can give up your talents. You can give. And you should therefore give. So, in, in all of life, the Christian recognizes that God is sovereign and cares about everything. So we, we are living for his pleasure, whether it's in our homes as we instruct our kids, as we hold back from constant rebuking, even though we feel like they deserve it. As we pray for our children, we trust in the Lord. The righteous man walks with his family and walks with his, his wife and interacts with his coworkers because he knows the Lord is pleased with certain behaviors because they reflect his character. In his personal life, he's generous, he's hardworking, and he's disciplined in his spirit. A wise man is blessed by the Lord, remember, with humility and fear of the Lord come riches, honor, and life. And so we strive to live for the Lord so that our home is a place in which he delights and so that our character brings him joy. This is what a wise man does. So, we should all be wise guys. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the way it instructs us and rebukes us and challenges us and comforts us. It is such a grace to know that no human heart is free of your leading, of your control and management over them. And so when we are hurt, when we are injured by others, it is not as though you are powerless to stop it. But for our good and for your glory, you've permitted others to act in sinful ways so that you might shape us to be like your son, who although innocent was also mistreated. Lord, we are not too good to suffer in this world. We thank you for the grace of reminding us that the wise man trusts that you are sovereign in every area of life. Further, Lord, you've entrusted to us the stewardship of precious families. And whether we are children called to honor and obey our parents, or whether we are parents called to carefully, wisely interact with our children so that we train them rather than crush them or be silent toward them. Lord, we ask that you'd make our homes a place where the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is experienced by our family because of our wisdom because we're careful to walk according to your word, to encourage others and love them with our words. And Father, we also ask that as we interact with our world, that we would be marked by control and long-suffering spirits, that we'd be careful not to express anger, that we would be diligent and work hard so that we can care for our families and so that we can care for our communities and our church. Lord, in these ways, we ask that you glorify your name by your people living as wise. Help us to look to Christ and see in him as the perfect practical example of wisdom. A life lived in care and lived for your glory. A life in which his joy was to do the will of the one who sent him. 
Lord, we ask that you would strengthen our church to have that same joy, that same pursuit, that we might always live for your pleasure. We ask that you might do these things, Father, for our good and for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen.